Thank you. Good fellowship time together. We'll have more opportunity later. We'll be having a fellowship meal. Nadia is going to be actually telling us what that meal is in a moment here. Um, I think you're aware of our opportunities at 9.30 in the morning on Sundays. We also have Adam Sharon is going to be bringing the message for us today. Just let you know that. Just a moment. Wednesdays, opportunities, quilting from 9 to 2. There's a lunch here at noon on Wednesdays. There's a Bible study at 1 o'clock. And actually, they're beginning a new book. It's called God is Good, right? God is Good by Bill Johnson. Life-changing book. So, it's going to change your life if you're going to come, and if you can come, it come, because you want to read that little bit. Can you see? Are we get enough light here? We've got a little chunk in there that that tells why he wrote this book. And I tell you, it's, this is the third time I'll go through this book myself. So you know it's a good one. <laughs> and I, really, I'm so excited about this one. I, we're excited about all of them. But, huh? Say the time again. You tell them. <laughs> these, these two <laughs> On Wednesdays. Are a big part of this. We'd like to have more people come if you can. And um, Don is very grateful. We're so happy for that, and Doreen has been able to come. But she's going to read just a little portion here. I have more questions than answers, and I am certain that what I've written will bring many challenges to some, just as it will bring help to others. Yet I have one reason for writing it. God told me to do so, really. He spoke to me during a pastor's prayer meeting when I was not specifically thinking about writing particularly writing about the subject of God's goodness. We were sharing testimonies about God's wonderful work in our city, and as he so often does, he interrupted my thoughts with a very strong internal impression. While it wasn't audible, it was close. I want you to write about me being good. I've never had that happen before with any of my books. I've brought ideas to him and asked for confirmation, and I've sought him for specific direction regarding a writing assignment, but I've never had him give me a mandate like this. While I know many use God told me to do it as an excuse to do what they want, in this case, it is my story. We went through about, I don't know, first five, six pages in class Wednesday, and one thing that we got very strongly is God, if you, if you got anything good, it was from God. If you got anything bad, it was from Satan. You don't have to accept anything bad. You know how to fight it. You know how to fight Satan. Fight it <laughs> and accept every good thing with praise and thanksgiving. So... That's a good class. That's 1 o'clock on Wednesdays. Nadia, are you 
close by? Okay, we'll have you come up here. Let me see if there was anything else here. Oh, yes, National Day of Prayer, or Wednesday evening, 6 o'clock, evening prayer meeting. There'll be a teaching by Pastor Dean, and then go to prayer. Come when you can for that. Um, A National Day of Prayer gathering will be at the Beltrami Courthouse on Thursday, May 2nd, this Thursday at 1 o'clock, or from noon to 1, and Gerald Durstein will be coming on the 30th also. So, Nadja's been with us since, what, August? From Germany, and we've been so blessed here to have you with us. And um, she's going to share just a few moments here. I'm uh, not quite prepared for this, but so it's going to be an interesting announcement. Um, So yeah, I'm Nadia from Germany, as many of you know, and I have been staying with the Bush family this exchange year since last year, August. And um, I'm just trying to kind of like advertise my program. I'm here with the program ASSE, which is Um, an international exchange student program. And each year, ASSE places several thousand exchange students um, in the whole world, ages 15 to 18. Um, And since they're kind of looking for hosts or like families that host um, more students for next year, um, I really encourage you to host a student because it's a great experience for not only me as a foreign exchange student, also the family. You get to share um, your culture and the student gets to share his or her culture. And students come from the whole world, like Europe. You could also pick somebody from Asia, Africa, whatever. And. Uh, before a student is considered to uh, the program, um, they kind of check or test uh, your qualities and then your knowledge about the language. So they really make sure that it's somebody good coming. So you don't have to be concerned about that. And um, your family will also be involved in the uh, selection process. So you kind of get to pick from a list. Um, the student and can a little bit like match it to your family um, and you can all they're also going to write a that's what I did at least um, a letter and make like send pictures first so you can really match that person and then there's also there'll be a local area representative from ASSE here around that is always available if you have questions or concerns and they also um, do events and little meetings and fun little activities with us. So that's really a help and they're available 24 seven. Yeah, it's really (laughs) a lifetime experience and I encourage everyone to do it because it's, you learn like as Bobo says, he learned a lot from me, I guess, or the whole family. And also the other way around. Um, so having somebody from someone from a different country or culture who speaks a different language and your home will excite and inspire your children 
and per perhaps maybe even encourage your own children to do it for uh, in exchange here abroad. Um, yeah, it will take as much from the experience as will your guests. So uh, I really encourage you to do it. And if you uh, think about hosting somebody, then I would be really thankful if you guys come up to me. Because if I refer somebody to my area representative, I could make a little bit of money. So, <laughs> so yeah, if you guys think about host somebody, then come up to me. You could also find information um, on the website of ACSE, ACSE.com, or like ask me. I could give you uh, some information or even contacts from my area representative. And yeah, <laughs> just do it. <laughs> Thank you. In about a month, in about a month, I think it's the 19th of May, the, the young people are going to have the whole service. And that time we'll have prayer over grads and also over Nadia before you go. And um, But today, tell us about the lunch before we go. I also provide the meal today. It's a German um, meatloaf with eggs in it. It's a little bit, it looks pretty. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's a meatloaf with uh, boiled eggs in it with potato salad, and I hope it's good. I uh, I hope so. It should be. It's called falsche Hase. Falsche Hase. Yes. Say that. Falsche Hase. <laughs> Thank you, Nadja. Um. Okay. We're going to save the building update. Possibly next week we'll do that. It's going to be a few weeks yet before we go back uh, into the other sanctuary. And um, the Lord is, well, there's lots of people working on that, uh, pro professionals and volunteers and so forth, with fixing things and repairing things, restoring things, new things, cleaning things. But you know, the same thing is happening in us. Uh, in us as individuals, families, as a church family, the Lord is doing things. And uh, he'll have us ready when that's ready. But we just don't know the timing of it yet. But we do know, like I mentioned a few weeks ago, that we are um, opening up our building fund again because there will be some expenses beyond the uh, uh, insurance. We just don't know yet. What that will be will let us all know so we can have a goal once, as soon as we know. Not a great amount, but there will be some. And, um, and we don't want to go into debt. So <clears throat> uh, as far as offerings and tithes and such, there's a box on the ridge, or on the ridge, on the ledge <laughs> by, the, by the sound booth there. You can put your offerings in there. But if you're putting it for building fund designated as such, uh, in one of the envelopes, that would be great. And we're going to pray over things. Adam, you can just start to come on up this way. Uh, but we're going to pray over the tithes offerings. We're going to pray for Trina Wiley this morning. We also are praying for Derek Warner this morning. And uh, Lord, we just lift before you those that are dealing with physical issues, things today, we think of Trina Wiley. 
Thank you for your hand upon her. Sounds as though a procedure tomorrow, uh, possibly a stent in her heart, Lord. We just cover her in prayer for her restoration, Lord, into health. And we pray the same for Derek. In Jesus' name, Derek Warner. Pray for Greta. Pray for both of their families, Lord. Your hand upon them. Pray over now to our tithes and offerings as we give them unto you. In the name of Jesus, we're so thankful that you supply our needs. You are our Jehovah Jireh who does supply all of the things that we need. And we're thankful to give. And we just thank you for Adam and the word that you have. We thank you for your anointing on Adam this morning as he shares the word for us. In Jesus' name, amen. How are you liking being in this uh, this part of the church? I mean, not, all, not everybody's in a big rush to get over back to the other one. I kind of like this room. I, I got married right there. So I have a special fondness for this room. So, <laughs> so we'll just take as much time as we need. You know, I find myself uh, to be in the position to offer you a bargain this morning. If you were really listening and paying attention, every song that Kent led this morning was preaching the sermon that I prepared. So we could just take a vote and say, let's be done and go home. I'm not seeing any hands, so I guess we'll... Oh, there was one. <laughs> I'll talk with you later. But Okay, so <laughs> we'll do part two then, round two. All right, so... Um, <clears throat> going to introduce the subject by telling you about a little experience um, that uh, Vicki and I were leading a team and we were in North Africa. We were in the Sahara Desert and we were invited into a home and uh, for a meal. So we went and, uh, you know, different part of the world, they do things different. Their meals are served. They just they spread out a tablecloth in the middle of the floor and then you just sit down on the floor around the around the tray and everybody digs in to the same tray so there we were we were uh, as, I, as I remember we didn't have anybody who could translate between languages at this meal so we were just having to figure things out that's always an adventure so <clears throat> they came and they they set a spoon down in front of each one of the foreign guests that was there um, and uh, the Africans, they didn't put a spoon in front of them. So then the next thing that happened was they came in with a basin and a pitcher of water. And they started going around, and the, the Africans would have the water poured on their hands, and they would wash their hands over the basin and dry it and go to the next one. Well, they got to me, and, um, and I, they passed by me with the basin and the pitcher. And I'm... I, <laughs> Can I wash my hands, please? Um, and they looked at me with surprise on their face. I'm like, what? Really? And I thought, good grief, I'm in the Sahara Desert. Yes, I want to wash my hands. <laughs> and, anyway, so, so they came and then they let me wash my hands. 
And then uh, what happened was, as she left the room, she picked up my spoon and took it with her. (laughs) So if you wash your hands, that means you're going to eat with your hands. So the, you know, the foreign guests didn't have to wash their hands. So that was a surprise. So the thing was, if you're going to eat with your hands, your hands have to be what? Clean. So here we are. You can't see it too well, but it can be a messy affair. But it's, uh, if you eat with your hands, your hands got to be clean. That brings us to what I'm going to talk about today, clean and unclean. I... Uh, I'm going to start with reading scripture in Luke 5, this encounter between Jesus and Simon Peter. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. The people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He sat at the water's edge. He saw at the water's edge two boats there. Okay, I've got to give in and put my glasses on. left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. So Simon Peter said to Jesus, Master, we've worked hard all night and have not caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. I ask you, was Simon Peter full of faith for the big catch when he said this to Jesus? I don't think so. Uh, I think it really was more like kind of grudging compliance. Um, you know, here's Jesus. Jesus just got done preaching to a big crowd. He's a holy man. All these people are on shore watching, and, uh, and he's already in my boat. So, okay, I'll humor him, and I'll let down the nets. I'll do what the man asks. But that brought about a catch of fish like they had never seen. So Peter's initial response like any real fisherman, hey, show me how to do that. <laughs> you and I, we can go into business, and we got the corner on the fish market. You are the ultimate fish finder, right? No, that was not Peter's culture. Peter's response was to immediately snap into the worldview, the grid of Jewish thinking, of clean and unclean. And immediately he... he through that grid, he said to himself, I am not qualified to be near this man. I'm disqualified to even be near him. He's holy, and I'm not, so we should be separated. So he tries to push Jesus away. He says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. 
clean and unclean was a huge part of the Jewish culture and the law. And they had to be very careful not to defile themselves and become ceremonially unclean. So let's get just a take a little, uh, a tiny example, tiny idea of how this clean and unclean thing works, just for our purpose here today. Um, Haggai, in the Old Testament, he asked some Jewish priests, if a man, if a man carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does that item become holy? No, replied the priests. So Haggai asked, if one who is defiled by a contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? Yes, it becomes defiled, the priest answered. So here's the idea. Under the law of the Old Covenant, if a clean thing touched a dirty thing, it didn't make, the clean thing didn't make the dirty thing clean. But if a dirty thing touched a clean thing, it was the clean thing that became defiled, right? It's almost like it's the dirty thing that has the power. It makes the clean thing defiled. So if somebody or something was clean or consecrated, it had to be protected from all uncleanness. So figuratively, Clean things had to be kept in a box, kept in a clean box. And you did everything you had to do to keep all the impure, dirty things away from the clean box so that the holy, consecrated thing in the clean box doesn't get defiled. Okay, so that's just a very, very simplistic um, idea of how the clean and unclean worked. But I think, I'm pretty sure this is what Peter was thinking. He knew that he was dirty and sinful. He was conscious of the separation that he thinks should be there. And he didn't want to defile Jesus. So he tries to push Jesus away and basically says, you shouldn't have anything to do with me. I'm a sinner. What did Jesus do? Jesus rejected Peter's reasoning. Jesus was not threatened by the sin in Peter. He wasn't threatened by being in the presence of the unclean. And Jesus would not stay in the clean box. <laughs> Instead, he pulls Simon Peter toward him. He pulls him toward him, and he pulls him toward what he's doing. It's like he's saying, I'm not afraid of you, Simon Peter. I'm not afraid of that. what's in you making me unclean, because what's in me is going to overcome that. So knowing the nature, just this little picture of how clean and unclean works, how could it be that Jesus was not bothered by being in the presence of an unclean sinner? This was a real question. People of that day were struggling with this. The, a little bit later in the same chapter, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, why do you sit and eat with tax collectors and sinners? It did not make sense to them. They couldn't it didn't fit into their worldview. And here Simon had just declared to Jesus, I'm a sinner. So according to the way they did things, they should have been separated. It went against everything they understood. <clears throat> We're going to come back to this thought, but I just want to take a, a little aside here and, uh, and look at another way that this story is totally amazing to me. Jesus' response to Simon Peter was, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. 
What was happening here was Jesus was prophesying to Peter. Jesus, what, Jesus intervened in Peter's life and gave him a huge prophetic picture, that catch of fish, of the harvest that was to come in his life. Um, Jesus created an opportunity for Peter to step into faith. It's almost like he was saying, Simon, yeah, I know, you've worked hard all night and you got nothing. It's just like under the, under the law, under the old covenant. You work and work and work, and all your righteousness is like filthy rags. But follow me. Walk with me. I'm going to introduce a new covenant, and in that place, you're going to flourish. And he reaches past the line into Peter's life, and he plunders the domain of sin and darkness by speaking life and speaking vision into Peter's future. And Peter stepped into it. He stepped into it. He said, yes, that's for me. And he, he left everything and followed Jesus. I totally believe Jesus still does this today. He still speaks into our lives opportunities for faith to arise. And you know what? I think he wants to train us to do that to others around us as well. So, Lord, teach us to speak into being opportunities for faith to arise in our brothers and sisters around us, too. Carrying on in Luke 5, let's look next as Jesus gets even more radical about this crossing this clean and unclean boundary. <clears throat> Makes it even more obvious. Um, Luke 5, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. This touching a leper business, he was not supposed to do that <laughs> according to the law. In fact, according to the way that the Jewish law was set up, that leper shouldn't have been anywhere near Jesus. He should have been off in the distance shouting, unclean, unclean, so everybody knew not to go near him. And maybe he was. Maybe Jesus went toward him anyway. I don't know. But, uh, but Jesus knowingly, intentionally touches a person who he knows under the law is going to defile him. And he wasn't the least bit distressed about this because he knew that the life in him prevailed over the uncleanness that was in the leper. Jesus did not become defiled by the leprosy. Instead, the cleanness of Jesus overcame the leprosy. That's not how the clean box works. <laughs> Jesus would not stay in the clean box. Whoa. The domain of darkness and sin was being invaded. Think of the most clean, sterile places you go I see Mary here, and I think operating room. The operating room is a clean place. You have to do everything possible to keep all the germs out. And so you set up all kinds of protocol, all kinds of rules, all kinds of systems to keep everything sterile and clean, keep every germ out of that place. We have to protect it. And that's the way, that's the, way the clean box works. The, the least bit of thing that gets in makes it impure. But imagine the power of this man, Jesus, who stepped out of that box. 
he plunged himself into the middle of the impure, the unclean, the diseased, the sinful. And what happened? Did he become impure, unclean, and sinful? No. What resulted was healing and salvation, blessing, freedom from bondage. And now, at your invitation, this amazing, life-radiating Jesus comes and lives inside you and calls you his ambassador. It's amazing. So what's going to happen when we plunge ourselves into the middle of the impure, the unclean, the sinful, the diseased? Do we expect a different result? He is the one who brings the healing. He is the one who brings the salvation. We don't conjure it up or produce it. He does it. And he's looking for us to take it out into the world that he so loves and let it be emitted and propelled outward by what we do. So the question is this. Why wouldn't Jesus stay in the clean box? Why did he break the law? Uh, Two reasons I have. One is that he had the God kind of life in him that would not be uh, made impure, would not be overcome by uncleanness or sin. It was the other way around. And two, he wasn't really breaking the law because he was actually the fulfillment of the law. He finished, he was the completion of the law because he fulfilled every demand of the Old Covenant, because he did that, he could step beyond it, and he could announce the New Covenant. And uh, his invasion had begun, and he was announcing it. Uh, Let's look a little more in the next chapter, Luke 6. I'm going to read Luke's account of the Beatitudes, uh, and listen for the announcement in here. He's announcing the New Kingdom. He went out with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had, become, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. You know, almost every visual um, representation, filming of this event that I've ever seen has had G- shown Jesus sh- sharing this message uh, somberly, seriously, monotone, mysteriously, gazing off into the distance with kind of a glazed look in his eye. <laughs> but the verse before this says, power was coming from him. And he was healing them all. Think of the best spirit-filled, charismatic meeting you've ever been at where supernatural things are happening. Does everything all of a sudden change and the speaker goes all serious and somber and 
mystical? (laughs) I don't see that. I don't think that's what this meeting was like. Jesus was prophesying with power into these people's lives. And at the same time, he was announcing the new covenant. People are excited. They're happy. They're shouting. I, I think Jesus was having a blast. I can even imagine maybe he had a, an early version of Dave DeWell's gun. You know. <laughs> For those who didn't get that, I'm sorry. I have no way to explain it. I've... Um, remembering that one of Jesus' main missions was to introduce the new covenant He had a rough job. These people had been for centuries and centuries under the old covenant and under the law and the tradition and creating more and more and more laws and rules. And he's got to tell them, hey, guys, all this is about to change. Everything's about to change. And I want you to see what the change is. Can you, would you allow me to paraphrase these verses we just read a little bit to help us to hear the, the announcement in them? I think it, Jesus was meaning something like this. You, under the old covenant, you're poor. Bam! You can leave that behind. I'm ushering you into a new kingdom. You, under the old covenant, you're never satisfied. You're hungry. Bam! I say, under the new covenant, you will be satisfied. I'm the bread of life. You, under the old covenant, you're weeping now. There's no end to your grief. There's no end to your guilt. I'm announcing a new way. And in that new way, bam, you're going to be laughing. That's for those who see, who would see and accept the new covenant that was coming. Can you see, you know, it says Jesus looked upon the multitudes and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I think a big part of that was he saw these people, they're all stuck in the old covenant, and that's about to go away. The new covenant is starting. They need a shepherd to lead them into this new covenant, help them see it. So that's, that's what Jesus is doing, I think. So, but he also, he takes these same three points, and he turns them around, and he lets people know what they can expect if they, if they stay stuck in the old covenant. So you who have your riches stored up in this old covenant, the old system, the old way of doing things. Everything's about to change. The old covenant's finishing. The riches of the old covenant don't transfer into the wineskins of the new covenant. If you miss this transition, you're only going to have what you got now. You, under this old covenant, this is verse 24 and 25, you who are, you're well-fed now, if you keep to the old ways, if you miss this new kingdom... You miss the bread of life, you're going to end up hungry. And you, under the old covenant, you're laughing now. You keep looking to the law for your happiness, and you've got everything set up the way you like it. Sorry, but that's over. It's coming to a close. And if you stay there, you're just going to be looking back at what you've lost, and it's going to make you cry. So Jesus was letting people know that there was a moment that was quickly coming at his crucifixion that would end the system of the old covenant because Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, he fulfilled all the demands. He met all the demands of the old covenant. And at that moment, it was the beginning of a new covenant. And it would happen in a heartbeat. In the moment, the old covenant would be fulfilled and it would no longer be a valid way to please God. God was letting these people know, you try to save your life that way and you'll lose it. 
Right at that moment, Matthew 27:51 tells us something exciting that happened at the moment Jesus died. It says the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain that separated the clean from the unclean. God would not stay in his clean box. He would no longer be restricted to the Holy of Holies. He burst forth out of there because the price had been paid and the life of God was on the loose. This morning, Kent sang, Emmanuel, God with us. That's what happened. You know what? I think Jesus was the exact representation of God, right? And Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. But God is also God with us. He could not wait. He burst out of that Holy of Holies so fast. He didn't even bother to open the curtain. He just went right through it. <laughs> That's what I think. He came out to be with his people. And uh, ever since then, the walls of the clean box were broken down. Not in, a, not in a disdainful way, not in a destructive way, just in a way that said, that's finished. We're not going there anymore. So all the, instead now, instead of clean and holy being the thing that had to be protected, now it's the thing that's spreading. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The earth shook. Rocks split. Tombs broke open. The bodies of many people who died were raised to life. Radical stuff happened when that curtain came down, and, and, and I believe God burst out of there. But where did he go? From the Holy of Holies. I mean, that was the Holy of Holies represented the presence of God for many, many centuries. Where did he go? You don't think he just went back in there and pulled the curtain shut again and found some duct tape in his heavenly toolbox and fixed it up. That's not what happened. <laughs> Acts 7.48 says, The Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. You are his temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. So that was a part of the, that was a part of the transaction that happened when, when Jesus died on the cross. It enabled us to be the temple of God. And as you invite him in, he makes you his temple. He's still taking over the realm of the unclean. When you gave your heart to Jesus, you didn't do it because you were clean, Right? And he didn't wait for you to go get in the clean box before he would move in. You're clean because he moved in. And because he's inside of you now, all of that goodness of the living God that overcomes evil lives inside you. The one who has the cleanness that destroys disease dwells inside you. The life that defeats death is resident in you. And he's waiting for you to unleash it into your world, into your family, into your territory. How do you do that? 
You speak it out. You bless it out. You give it out. You act it out. You love it out. The domain of darkness is on the run. The domain of darkness can only be invaded by those who have the confidence in the light and life of Jesus within them. It can be invaded by those who understand that their redeemed identity in Christ gives them the authority to walk into the darkness and proclaim light. And there's many that know and believe this principle, but it's only those who are willing to step out in faith and touch the leper who will actually do it. A believer walking in faith, aligning himself with the purposes of God, has the authority and the ability to disregard the no trespassing signs set up by the enemy and to confidently walk into the lands of darkness and proclaim life and healing and salvation, proclaiming the kingdom of God. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. Luke 18.8, Jesus asks a question. He says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? My answer is yes. And why do I say that? Because I know you, my brothers and sisters. (laughs) I know that you, the disciples of Jesus, are going to leave this place, and you're going to go out into the world and plant those seeds of faith. You're going to go out and give to somebody who who needs help. You're going to go out, find somebody who's sick, and say, I'm going to pray for you in Jesus' name. You're going to go find somebody who's tortured by fear, and you're going to bless them with the peace of Christ. You're going to go out and find somebody who's never heard and give them words of life. And those seeds are going to grow up and produce a harvest of faith that he will find when he comes. Is it any wonder he tells us to go? (laughs) Darkness is on the run. You have the light to put it to flight. Let's go. Amen. insight and revelation there Adam that is so good so good let's pray for us thank you Lord well Lord you show me so many times how I I didn't even realize I'm still walking in an in an old Time to stop preaching. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to do that. <laughs> what you were saying was, these are the best days of my life. That's what you were saying. Yes. That's, that's the alarm. Amen. Those days are ahead. The best days of our life are ahead. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I, you show me day by day ways that I'm walking in an old system of legalism, and I didn't even realize it. It's just the way and the culture and the, the system and the human witness that I was brought up in. And Lord, you show us day by day, insight by insight, insight uh, ways into the new kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us that you are the door into the new covenant. And Lord, we thank you that you are the shepherd who leads us into that. 
Thank you, Lord, that, that you have given uh, the God kind of life that overcomes and conquers the darkness. And you've put that in us. And Father, we ask you together as a body, teach us, Lord. We need to be taught. Teach us, Lord, how to, how to give this life away, how to see life overtaking darkness on every sphere, every level, and inviting your kingdom to come. Lord, we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, in our lives, in our homes, in our towns, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. And we welcome you to come and do it. Amen. Could you cut the recording, John? Just cut the recording.